The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. I hope you brought an apple for the teacher because it's time for the Star Seminar. Here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome, faithful students of Cowboysology, to another edition of the Star Seminar, your team taught course led by two eminent Cowboysologists, myself, Dr. Rabble Rouser, and of course, as always, Dr. Danny Phantom. Sir, I have my tickets and my hotels booked for our international conference of eminent cowboysologists in Oxnard, California, and I am thrilled about it. How are you today, sir? I am doing fantastic. You know, I'm trying to get uh, my affairs in order, so I am uh, good to go for everything. I still have some things to do, but I'm super excited. I'm super excited that we're going to be joined by the cool one down there, and uh, he'll be hanging with us. So excited about that. But I will say this, I'm, I just got back from the dentist today and I have a bunch of uh, appointments that I've got going on and I'm actually arranging them around my Oxnard, my California vacation, so trying to fit everything in. But I just feel, you know, I've been, I'm getting some, some dental work done and it's something that I've just been, it's long overdue as I'm just but I just keep putting it off. And um, so I'm finally just like, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm going to spend, you know, the next several months going through through this. But I just, you know, I just wish I would have just dealt with this way earlier. I don't know why I wait so long to do things. It's just sometimes I get like that. Uh, so I was going to ask you, is there something like that you have just put off forever in a day before you just finally decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it? Yeah, I mean, I tend to be a um, sometimes some procrastinator, and um, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, it's not the, it's not a one time thing. It's happened several times, and every time it happens, I think, dude, that you, you've done it a different way that's way better, and that's that's my taxes. So, mm. you know, but typically we we get our W two sometime at the end of January or mid January, sometimes depending on your employer and how how their payroll works. And there have been years where the second I get that, like I get to work on my taxes and I get them in like in January. And there's other times if I don't do that right away, sometimes I'm like, oh, uh, maybe I'll do it this weekend. Oh, maybe I'll do it this weekend. And suddenly it's like April 13th. 
you know, and I'm like, ah, I got to do this. And it's not even necessarily that the outcome is going to be different, you know, or even you know, it's, 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 it's not that I, if I had more time, uh, I would, you know, might, I would get a bigger return or anything like that. It's just, just the sort of like peace of mind of knowing that it's out of the way. Yeah. And so, um, you know, maybe twice in the last five years, I've waited till mid April to do it. And then every time I'm doing that, when I'm spending like, you know, a, a day collecting all my papers and stuff to do my taxes, I'm thinking, you know, this was a lot easier when you used to do this in, in uh, late January, early February. So you should get back to that there knucklehead. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to try to remind myself uh, about that feeling this year, you know, when, when, when late January ro- rolls around again, because I don't like, I don't like waiting. Yeah. No, that's, I, I, I hear you. I just, it does feel like once you do wait, then it's just, it's, it's really just hard to get up and get going and, and, and get started. And, and, uh, but it's much that's easier exactly when, it. when you just get yeah. rolling and you get rolling and get it together. And speaking of getting rolling, what do we have going on for today's show? Well, we're going to talk about the, the uh, unit on the Cowboys that has the greatest opportunity, I think, of getting this team rolling and is going to be rolling some opponents over the course of the 2023 season, and that is the defensive line. Um, so I can't wait to, you know, I know you've got a little little game prepared for us, and we're going to kind of break things down. But before we do, um, I'm going to stave off my excitement because I do have a, a quick little, hold on a second, I have a question for you at first. And that is, as always, as old heads, we have to go back to the jersey numbers question. So um, I, there there have been a few years now where basically linebacker and defensive alignment jerseys have been part of the same kind of renumbering. And so this question basically pertains to both of those units. But so since the uh, NFL jersey number standardization in, in 1973, there have been essentially three eras for defensive line and linebacker numbers, right? And those, in, in some ways, they've been interchangeable since the advent of the 3-4. So from 1973 to 1984, um, defensive linemen could wear numbers from 60 to 79. And of course, linebacker numbers were on the 50s. In 1984, they, or actually 1979, they allowed defensive linemen to start wearing numbers in the uh, in the 90s. And in 1984, they start, started allowing defensive linemen to wear numbers in the 90s. So from 84 to 2021, our defensive linemen can wear numbers from 60 to 79, as they always had, and also from 90 to 99. You think about, you know, like Charles Haley, for example, oh, yeah. being, you know, being number 94. It's like, it, it's just such a sort of iconic number for the Cowboys now. In 2021, as you well know, um, the same uh, as above applied in terms of defensive linemen, but linebackers could now wear anything in the range from zero to 59, which is really interesting because by, by wearing number 11, Micah Parsons is declaring himself as a linebacker. What if the part of me wonders about the, the conspiracy theorist in me wonders if the Cowboys allowed him to take on number, number 11. So they could say, Hey, you designated yourself as a linebacker friend. So you're going to get linebacker money, not defensive end money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my, my question for you is of those three different kind of eras in front seven numbering, which one is your favorite and why? Well, the answer to this question is always the era that, you know, I, of I course it is. Of. It's, it's, <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's, that's just where my answer is. I will, I will say this. I, I didn't even really make the transition or realize the, the switch from when they, from 1984, when you were able the defensive players could wear nineties. To me, Charles Haley, 
and the, the, they just seem natural. That seemed natural to me. So I, mm-hmm. I don't ever remember a period to where that looked weird to me. I will say that, but I will at the same time, it looks super weird to see, um, you know, edge rushers and linebackers wearing weird numbers. It's just, I just, I don't know. It's going to take a little bit of time to get used to it. But as I've said to you before, uh, when you, if you're a good player, then the number looks great on you. And if you're not, you, you look ridiculous, you know, wearing, what are you doing wearing that silly single digit or something? But so that's kind of where, where I am at. I, I'm, so I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm from 84, 21. That's my favorite. I, I love the too tall 72 and, you know, I, I, you know, I love the, you know, the doomsday defense. Everything just looked normal to me. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I, yeah, I'm still. I think that's. I mean, I, Demarcus Ware. I mean, you couldn't. You know, in Tank, all those, all those seem natural to me now. So uh, I don't have. Yeah. I, I like that's that's the era I go. I just haven't warmed up to the the 2021 just yet. I, you know, as a fellow old head, I'm the same way. Although I think that the the, the observation you just shared with us is absolutely right. Uh, Micah Parsons makes whatever number he's wearing look good because he's wearing it and he's the best damn defensive player in the league. Uh, so speaking of defensive players and the best ones, let's get to our discussion of the defensive line, shall we? All right, let's go. All right, Rab, so... Today, we're going to talk about the defensive line. And yes. I know you're excited about this, and so am I. Uh, I don't know when it when it actually happened, but there was a point to where I just became really captivated by defensive linemen. And, you know, it's particularly edge rushers, but uh, I just, you know, whenever the snap, your eyes is always on something. You know, like whenever the Cowboys offense, it's always on Prescott. And, and uh, but then you're all, you know, it's on defense. It's it's the edge rushers and the pass rushers, and so been very fascinated about defensive line for a while now. So I'm excited about uh, talking about this group. But I have a little game for you. Uh, basically, what Great. I'm going to do is I'm going to have you kind of build the Cowboys depth chart, and I'm going to lo- allow you to pick ten players that are going to make it, and everybody else is no dice. So and uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Before we start, though, I had a couple of questions about the defensive line that I wanted to just throw at you and get, you know, just kind of pick your brain on um, how you feel about certain things. And the first of which is being, I want you to tell me what particular traits do you value as a pass rusher? And um, you know, we'll start on the edge. Like, give me some of the things that you truly value in your edge rusher. So my perfect edge rusher, I, I don't necessarily think there's a body type or size. Like I think there could be 240 pound rushers who are really effective. Michael Parsons is a great example. And I think there are 280 pound rushers who can be really example, really uh, effective. And there are some great examples throughout the league, like guys like Miles Garrett, or like the 285 pound guys. Julius Peppers is always one of those guys, right? He's a big guy, but he, but he had the speed and, and, and sort of balance and, and he could run the arc. So that that leads me to the, the thing that's really important. I, I think the best edge rushers have that, that uncanny balance around the edge. They can quote unquote run the arc, which means that they can they can basically lean in and continue to engage with the with the offensive tackle, even at, at, even when their body is leaning at like a it's not a forty five. I guess it's like a first sort of forty five degree angle, or something uh, something approximating that. 
and they can continue to to move around at speed and run a tight arc so that the so that they're not easily pushed beyond the quarterback. So I think that that's one thing. And you see you see the uh, the Cowboys defensive line work on this at training camp where we will we will, we will be setting up shops soon where they'll like put a tennis ball on the ground and they'll put some hoops or some hose or something mm. down and have them. I literally run, run around the edge of that and try to run the tightest arc possible while they reach down and pick up a tennis ball. It's a way of just like getting used to running full speed uh, with balance at, at that angle. Um, I think there's a couple other things that I really like, uh, you know, I want explosiveness and, and what that, that means for me is the ability to turn speed into power. Mm. It's, it's great to be a speed rusher, but if you're just a speed rusher, and you don't have the ability to push a guy back into the quarterback. That makes the offensive tackle's job so much easier because he knows all he has to do is set quick and and run you, as we were just saying, beyond the quarterback, right? So if you're just a speed rusher, every once in a while, you'll get that step or, or, or so on him if, if you beat him at the snap. But he knows that his first set has to be out. He doesn't have to worry about you like taking a, a step out and and then pushing him in his chest and him being off balance. If you don't have, if you're not able to turn that into power, then really you can only beat him one way. And if you can only beat him one way, you're much easier to to defend. So um, that's the other thing. And then the third thing, and this is where our dear friend, Demarcus Lawrence, is such a master is hand fighting and hand fighting. Mm-hmm. Like his his hands are so good. He's like a karate master. You know, uh, he's like one of those, those sort of like old 70 year old karate masters who still whip 20 year olds because his hands and his technique are so good. His technique is impeccable and, and it, the, his ability to like stutter step and, and combine his feet with his hands. Uh, he doesn't have the athletic ability or explosion anymore to do some of the other things we're talking about in terms of beating guys with speed or running the arc. He can still do that a little bit, but that's not his game, but his game is so masterful is in his ability to use his hands. So those are the three things that I look for most in my edge rushers. Because I think that all of those things are, are traits that you look across the league at the guys who are consistently most successful, both play after play, but also year after year. And they possess usually at least two of, of those three traits. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Great, great choices. Uh, I remember like the first time I started understanding about bend, you know, being able to mm-hmm. just, you know, you talk about running the arc and stuff and seeing the, those edge rushers being able to get around the tackle, but not getting washed out of the play to where they're, they're still kind of controlling the direction of they're going by being able to bend so well. And that's, that's why I, when at first I was like, you know, I wanted my edge rushers to be big and strong and stuff, but no, you just need to have those guys that are able to, to have that flexibility to do that too. And also another one too, that I, I learned a little bit late was, uh, you know, that quick get off, you know, being able to get off, get off the snap really, uh, I mean, it just makes a, such a world of a difference. And that's obviously, that's the same as true with um, when you're talking about tackles as well. But though, the great traits, uh, I, I like it. Great choices. Uh, so let's just kind of slide inside a little bit to um, defensive tackle. So what would make a good defensive tackle to you? I think we have to really split that up into two because I think the traits that make uh, in the Cowboys scheme is sort of, you know, four-man front, um, I think the traits that, differentiate between a one tech or nose tackle and a three tech are quite different Mm -hmm. um and you know i mean i think they're more different or maybe in some ways more similar under a guy like uh rob marinelli than they might be under you know the current regime but i think that for the most part you know 
what we're looking for in a nose tackle or one tech is a guy who can take on a double team and not get pushed back. So you, you that's the thing you need above all else. You need a guy who is not going to get pushed back in the running game because if he can take on a double team, and what that means almost always is the center and a guard. Um, and that, so he can either, he can basically take both those guys and not give much ground, which allows everybody else uh, a one-on-one opportunity, right? And so that's really his job is to provide one-on-one opportunities for the other guys who then we hope have the skill set to be able to beat their man. On the other hand, the three tech, if you, especially if you have, um, if you're lucky enough to have a deluxe uh, athlete, you know, a sort of elite level defensive end on the sort of right side or open side, like a DeMarcus Ware or like a Micah Parsons, then that three tech is, is, is the defensive tackle who's on that side. And what that means is he's usually lined up one-on-one with a guard, which means he's lined up one-on-one with a player who's almost certainly less athletic than he is. He may be more powerful, but he's almost certainly less athletic. So what you want then is a guy who is, does have some quickness, who has some athleticism, who has, I think, some of the things you were just talking about, great first step. Um, we were talking earlier about for the defensive end, how important it is to, to, to have great hand usage. If you, you need a defensive tackle who's got a great first step and great hand usage, and then has that upfield quickness. So uh, he doesn't need the same kind of burst as your, you know, as your defensive end has, but he needs to have, you know, good defensive burst, I think, for a defensive tackle. And, and those guys can be a little undersized as a result because they don't win with power. They win with quickness off this, uh, you know, where, where you basically take a step one way, you have a ponderous guard who goes with you, and then you can cut the other direction and, and try to shoot the gap and shoot upfield. And they can't do anything about it because those two dudes who, who might you know, shift over and do something about it if you beat in the guard are occupied with your big, burly, one-tech nose, nose tackle type. So I think Oso Digizu is a great example of that. I think he's been a great find. One of the things that we talked about a lot when he was drafted was the fact that he has a wrestling background. So he's really good with balance. He's really good with hand usage. He's really good with the combination of both. He understands how to use both. And so I think that um, he stepped right in and you know was a, was a pretty consistent playmaker because he had some of those traits we're talking about. Yeah, no, I totally agree to it. It's, you know, it's weird is, you know, it, it's hard to get excited about the Cowboys defensive line as a whole, or it has been in, in the past when you, when you're looking for these type of traits, you know, you'll, you, they may be strong here, but then they're, they, they are weak there. Like nose, for example, is, is, is a spot that they've been just really, inferior for a long time you know you know even if you just look in the past decade or so at the cowboys have had your nick hayden's your justin hamilton's your george selvies who led the team and said you know uh, vincent Mayo led the team and said you know mincy jeremy mincy led the team in sacks i mean these are guys that's i mean they're not they're not just just like jags necessarily but they're not anything great but at the same time they have been very um on the on the top end of what the cowboys have had over the years but that has changed now because this is no longer that defense and that defensive line, which, you know, is a reason why a lot of us are super excited about what the Cowboys have right now. So I'm going to throw another question at you, Rabs, is I want you to tell me how far do you have to go back to feel as good as you feel about the defensive line from what you're seeing from this group right now? I have to go back to, I think, 2009. I really think that that was a great defensive line. And I think in many ways, it was a defensive line a lot like this one, in that, in that you, you, you were led by 
um, a Hall of Fame talent defensive end who had all of the characteristics that we that we talked about earlier that make for a great defensive end. I think Michael Parsons still needs to work on his hand usage and his and, and the sort of combination of his feet and his hands, and that's something that'll come with time. He's obviously not as good as someone like a Marcus Lawrence with that yet, but in terms of speed and in terms of ability to run the arc and balance and, and especially speed to power where he's like supernatural, he is, you know, he, he's deluxe. So, so, you know, both of those, like the, in some ways we look, go back to 2009 because the guy who, who led that group was DeMar- DeMarcus Ware, where he was still at the height of his power. And so uh, you have to have that elite guy I think, to anchor the defensive line. And then you need a bunch of really good role players. And so if you think about that 2009 defensive line, they had Jay Ratliff, right? Hmm. Great compliment. Underside, I mean, here's the here's your quintessential three tech. We were just talking about a guy who wins with hand usage and, and quickness and not power. That's Jay Ratliff. But he they had him as nose tackle, but that's how he won. They had like Jason Hatcher and Marcus mm-hmm. Spears and Stephen Bowen all played defensive tackle. And they would usually go to Hatcher and Bowen. They was guys who would kick inside when they went um, when they went to a four man front because they were they were still a three four defense in their base at the time. And then, of course, you had Anthony Spencer, who was a more of a power end, but actually had a little pass rush and was a really good run defender. That's right. Um, they were a really interesting, deep, deep defensive line. They also had, like, I think they had Igor Oshansky at some, at some point in there. I mean, they had some other cats, too. Did they have Chris Canty? Was, was he? I think they, let's see, Chris Canty was drafted in 05, so he would have been five. So I think they had him in eight. But maybe okay, nine. okay. Um, but that, that team was, I mean, they would come in waves and, and it was the same sort of thing where, like, you know, we've talked about, like, Dorrance Armstrong making a play or Dante Fowler making a play. You know, like, there would, there would be times in big games where, like, Stephen Bowen would come up with a huge sack or, like, you know, Marcus Spears would come up with a big play or Jason Hatcher made a bunch of sacks, led the team in sacks for, you know, later in his career. But he was still providing some, some you know, some important pass rush snaps then and stuff. So I think that um, because the, the, the guy like, you know, the Parsons or Ware character – it, it draws so much attention and draws so much attention both in, you know from the defensive coordinator excuse me the offensive coordinator staying up all night you know in in, in the week before the game trying to find a way to defend them and the fact that they're all, like the quarterback's always shifting you know the, the the sort of pass blocking scheme call over to that side um it creates a lot of one-on-one opportunities for all the other cats and those guys you know they get up they get chances to eat and you know, I think the Cowboys defensive line is set up to eat right now, just like that team was. And I think the other thing about it is when you have that depth, and this takes me back to another great Cowboys defensive line, which is the one that was like 92 to 395, is they were so deep, especially like in 92 and 93, that, you know, the guys didn't get a lot of chances. They didn't have, they didn't play a lot of snaps. They weren't overworked. And so when they got a chance, they really wanted to, to make the most of it. And so you had all kinds of all kinds of dudes who were down at the bottom of the roster in terms of that defensive line room who were making plays because they were really talented, but they were also you know playing with their hair on fire because they knew they only had, had so many opportunities. Right. And so I think that when you when you don't get as many opportunities, you're more well rested, which helps, of course. But also I think you you want to shine during those few opportunities. You're less likely to take a playoff, etc. So I see a lot of similarities between the two, and. Um, and I and I think that I feel strongly anyway. You you can you feel free to disagree, but I feel like this is probably by some margin the best unit on the Cowboys, and it's the unit that it seems to me, frankly, ha- it's both the unit and the player in Micah Parsons that the Cowboys have been building the team around. It's it's very interesting, but I don't think that they've been building the team around Dak Prescott. I think they've been building the team around Micah Parsons because they see 
this is our best player. We need to build a team around him and see how far he can take us. Yeah, well, I mean, you can look no further than what they've done this offseason to see that they, they are trying to make this an elite defense because they know they have an opportunity to do exactly just that. And I, I agree. I like your picks. Um, I probably, I was trying to think, like, when uh, DeMarcus Ware and, and Greg Ellis played together, that kind of reminded me mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. about with the Micah and, and Tank, you know. Um, but I, I, I agree. I think you have to go back. For me, you have to go back to the 90s, too, but because I mean, and like you said, those they were so deep. They, there were so many guys. The list just went on and on with key contributors. And you're right; they they knew that they, uh, you know, their opportunities were few and far between. So you have to make it, you make a, a count, and they and they did. And they, the yeah, their their fifth defensive tackle was Chad Henning. Yeah, it's just crazy. You look through it's, there and just like thinking like Jimmy Jones and and just all. You know, I think Jeff Coat was still there, and of course Charles Haley was there. And then Russell Maryland, who they drafted number one overall, was, you know, he was a good player inside. Just that there was just so many. And then, of course, Leon Lett over there. Was, it's just uh, just embarrassment of riches, to be quite honest. And I kind of feel like the Cowboys are on the cusp of having something like that this year. And so I agree. So I, agree. I want you that. So I'm going to task you with with making some tough decisions here. And I, I'm, I'm going to have you basically create this Cowboys depth chart. Well, defensive linemen. There's a lot of a lot of good names to choose from, but Cowboys typically keep around ten defensive linemen, and so I'm going to limit you to to ten, which means there's some names, some people on the team last year that's, you know, not not going to make the cut because you have to keep it at ten. So um, we're going to run down, and not, not only do you have to pick ten, but you're going to basically put them in roles. So basically, I got snap count percentages going on here. So you're basically your starting edges, your starting three tech, your starting nose, and whatnot. And um, today I'm, I'm going to have an article that comes out, and I'm going to have my answers. This is your chance now to see just how close we align. You ready for this? And so, so it's not, it's not I, too late my for you to uh, revise your article. And, and unless, if you say something brilliant, I mean, who's going to know? But, <laughs> okay. Okay. but what are the chances? <laughs> but uh, I know how your brain works. Uh, and chances? I just honestly, I think that it's going <laughs> to, I would be surprised if there is more than one, one difference in, in our choices. I would be too. So where do you want to start? So I'm going to start off. We're going to start at the edge, and okay. I'm going to give you. We're going to get. You're going to get. You're going to get five edges and five interior defensive linemen, and there's your ten. That's that's how it's going to work. We're going to run down. Okay. I'm going to give. We're going to start things off with. I want you to give me your basically your starting edges. Who typically you're looking at about sixty percent of the defensive snaps. So who you got? Yeah, I think I think the starting edges are going to be the same as last year. You know, barring something weird happening, I think it's gonna, and I think they're gonna have about the same percentage as what they had last year. So I think Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence will be the starters. I think Micah's gonna play more snaps because he has to, because he's so darn good. Um, one of the things that you that you pointed out that we talked about a little bit before we started recording was that he played as, as many as eighty percent of the defensive snaps, but only about sixty-five percent were at on defense at the defensive line at the edge. So I think that percentage is, is about what they want to go for. They, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually plays fewer linebacker snaps this year. So he actually fewer snaps overall, but that, but that I think that they need him from a, just a pure dynamism standpoint to play about that many 
snaps. So I'm going to say about 65% of the snaps for Micah and about 60% for the Marcus Lawrence. Okay. So yeah, I think that's easy to, to decide yeah. with there. Cause I mean, nobody's going to dethrone those guys and, I think that's right. And I mean, there's some conversation to be had about just how much you want to um, tax the body of Micah Parsons. And, you know, you maybe you want to kind of pace yourself a little bit so he's ready to go. I mean, obviously, I mean, it, it, it looked like he was wearing down and it, his body was taking a beating with him. I mean, he was wearing a cast, you know, late in the season. But there was a, it, it was taking a toll. So will they just cut him loose i mean obviously you want your best playmaker on the field as much as possible but at the same time you don't want to just run him into the ground so i i am kind of curious to see where he falls exactly but he should be barring some injury he'll be the top guy for sure so um so i think that's easy but let's it gets a little trickier at least it did for me uh when it comes to the um the two backups and uh I'll just we'll just tell you right now. Last year, that was Dorrance Armstrong would log the third most with and Dante Fowler the the fourth most. So those were the two main backups last year. But um, who do you have as the two main guys this year? I think Dorrance Armstrong is going to continue as a main guy, but I think the guy who's really going to take a big leap, and I and I actually have him taking about fifteen percent more of his of the defensive line snaps than he took last year is is um, our friend Sam Williams, and I think actually. He's the key to giving Micah the rest he needs because they they need as good as Demarcus Lawrence is. They need that dynamic speed element, that guy who can run the arc, the guy who can be sort of explosive and powerful and terrifying on the edge. And if Sam Williams can make a big leap, I think what that what that allows him to do is is not only give him more snaps, but also uh, I think they they can they feel like they can still get that element that Micah gives them with, with Williams. So I think. He's the key to a lot of what happens here. I think he's he's going to be effectively the number two guy. Okay, so or you know the second the second stringer on the on the open side. So you got Dorrance staying kind of put, and then I think so. Yeah, I think and I, part of that's because he's going to kick inside a lot. I think he, you know he's pretty he's pretty effective moving up and down the line. But I think I think he and Sam Williams will be the second team defensive end. Okay, so that it, am I correct to assume that your number five guy is Dante Fowler? That's absolutely right. I think I think his snaps go down a little bit. I think Sam Williams is going to take some snaps from him. I have him with about twenty five percent of the defensive uh, line snaps. So it's about a five percent decrease from last year. Okay, so um, we have our first dis- disagreement. Um, I, I I will say this: uh, I totally agree with you about Sam Williams. I think that his, I think it was pretty obvious from the the way that he he made the most out of what limited time he did play last year. He was like. His splash concentration was, was so high. Yeah, so high. So I mean, how you got to get him more, more reps for sure. So I do agree. I do have him going up, but I have I have Armstrong going down, and I, and, and I think Fowler actually holds as the the number four guy, or you know, tied with 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 uh, Sam for the number three guy. Because I I honestly think Fowler is a really good. First off, I love Dorrance Armstrong, and usually at this time of year, um fighting for or, or explaining how come he's going to make the team and how he's better than a lot of people think he is. Uh, but I also think Dante Fowler falls into that category too. He, I mean, he is, I, I was surprised the team was able to retain him. I figured he would, mm-hmm. he would leave in free agency. They usually bring a guy in, you know, your Alden Smith, your Robert Quinns or what, you know, they come in one year, Bridget, give you a veteran presence and then they, they're priced out of it. 
but they got him for a good deal. And, um, and I think that he is, is still one of the better edge rushers. And uh, I do think he'll, he'll, he, he will play that role. Uh, I mean, that's what he does. So he is a little bit limited there, but I do think that in those pass rushing downs, you're going to see a lot of him. And I, I think with Dorrance, I mean, we know Dorrance is going to play special teams. He's, I don't think he's in any jeopardy of, of losing his job. I will say this though, he does carry a $5 million. Um, if I, if I remember correctly, his, uh, it's a five million dollars. It's like it's like seven million two hundred fifty thousand. So it's a pretty big. But, and, I, and I believe five million is that base. So if you're looking yes, at uh, yes. some savings there, um, I think Dorrance would would be a but. But I still I, I think he's still good enough to where you're not gonna. I think you're just gonna keep him. Uh, but I do. So so I I agree with what you're saying. Here's the, here's the distinction for me. I think that if you're gonna take if you're gonna kick one of those guys inside to get more snaps, I think that that guy is Armstrong. I'm not sure that Fowler has the heft to kick inside. I didn't see him kick inside much last year, so I think that Fowler might get more snaps than Armstrong at defensive end, but Armstrong might get more defensive line snaps. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point, too, because the Cowboys, when they, depend on what kind of uh, formations they run, and sometimes they will run the, you know, you, you have your NASCAR going on, and, and Armstrong, I will say this too that Armstrong is a better run defender, so you, he, you know, could warrant more early down reps um, in that regard. So uh, I mean, you, you have a good case there. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, you could be right how that plays out. Um, but I just, I, I just really think Dante Fowler is a good player, and um, I, I also think that like both of those guys are here. This is their last year, um, so there's really nothing else. Like you're not. You don't want to like impede the progress of one because and, and let more opportunities. Like I would say, Armstrong would have the advantage in that regard if if I knew he was going to be around longer. Um, but I don't know that that's the case now because of what they have in Sam Williams. Um, but so okay, we're we're close. But I think we have a little bit different opinion when it comes to Armstrong and Dante Fowler. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But let's move on to the. Um, Let's move on inside and let's start with the three tech position. Okay. So, um, I think that I think that the clear starter is is Osa Odigizua. Um, last year he played about fifty percent of the snaps. I feel like he um, wore down as the season went on, and that's probably too high. So I think that one of the things that the coaching staff would like to see is for him to play fewer. And I think that that is really dependent on, on some other cats stepping up and that you know and that includes guys who you know uh, play defensive end it includes dl flex guys and it includes their their um, newly you know newly drafted defensive linemen like mozzie smith so i think there's there's a they've got some options there to reduce his load and i think that i think that's actually one of their priorities this year is to is to keep him fresher and therefore more effective yeah no easy choice i think it's an osa i mean he he, his sophomore year was even more impressive than his solid rookie season, and I think that mm-hmm. he could even be better this season. So I'm, ex- 100%. I'm excited to, to watch him. Uh, but it gets a little tougher after this, or at least it was for me. Um, who who do you have your as your next best back? Uh, your next best three tech. So I think that actually the, the guy who's going to be. Uh, Getting the next most snaps at three tech, certainly at the beginning of the season, anyway, is Chauncey Golston. I think that 
you know, last year he seemed to be a little bit of a guy without a position. In part, I think that was because their defensive end room was so deep. They did, they just, he just couldn't get in the field enough. When he did, he made, he made he made plays. He played well. And then they kicked him inside. He played some three-tick, and I think he really found a home. He, he, he reminds me a lot. We, I think we've talked about this before. He reminds me a lot of David Irving when David Irving would kick inside. Tall guy, long guy, not built at all like Oso Digizua, who's a short, compact guy. But uh, but in some in some ways, that's why he's effective because guards aren't used to him and they can't handle his length. And But he's also not super explosive as a defensive end, but pretty explosive as a defensive tackle. And I think there's there's several ways he can win as a three-tech. So I ex- ex- actually expect him to get the most, the next most snaps at the three-tech position. Hmm, interesting. I... While playing, while also playing uh, a decent amount of like power end. He, he may actually get more more snaps inside, but I think that he's a guy I would, I would designate personally as a kind of, I mean, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I think I would I would have him as more of a defensive line flex guy, where he's the, he's the guy who's really a man of multiple positions. Okay, so you have okay Chauncey as a as your D line flex then. So yeah, but I also think he's going to be your sort of second string defense, your second string three tech for all intents and purposes. Okay, so then what about your who's going to be getting logging the most snaps at the nose? Uh, I think so. There was just uh, one quick thing. I think the other guy who's gonna who's gonna make the team and get three tech snaps. Although, and this is why I said something specifically about Chauncey Golson at the beginning of the year, is I think I think he's gonna start getting three tech snaps at the end of the year. It's Junior Fajoko. I think I think he's gonna. I know they would after him to be a three tech. I think he's he's he has a lot of the same attributes as Adigizua. I think that um, he's gonna. I think he's going to surprise some folks. I think, you know, where he, he, he's a little big and a little slow to be a defensive end for, for all the reasons we just talked about with Golston, but I actually have him as a three-tech. I think he'll get about 20% of defensive line snaps as the season goes on. Okay. So, uh, but so but I, I don't want to, you know, move away from, from three-tech until I had a chance to talk about him. So those three guys, I think, will all will share the vast majority of the three-tech snaps. Uh, and then I think the number one uh, one-tech slash nose tackle is actually going to be the first round draft pick. I think it's going to be possible. Yeah, I, I think I think I mean I think he's probably better than Hankins, but I also think that he's, um, you know, the investment in in him ties back into what we said earlier, which is this is a team building its defensive line around Michael Parsons and building its team around its defensive line, and he's the key to all that. So you don't leave that dude on the bench unless he's just awful. They're going to put him out there. He's going to get his snaps. I think. I th- actually think he's going to be good. So I, I actually, if it, I'm not sure who he's he's replacing per se, but let's say he's replacing a dude like Carlos Watkins, or and and let's say he's replacing Carlos Watkins and um, uh, what's the other what's the other dude who got cut last year? Tristan uh, Hill. Yeah. So let's say let's say he's taking all their snaps. I think he's going to take their snaps and add about ten percent. I think he'll take about 45% of the defensive line snaps. So he'll play about as many snaps as, as the Digizua does. Okay. So then that puts uh, – you got Mr. Hankins then as your backup nose? That's correct. I think he'll – you know, last year he played about 10%. But remember when he, they picked him up like, you know, halfway through the year, maybe even less than halfway through the year. So I think he'll play about the same number of snaps, maybe a little bit more because he'll be more acclimated. And we spread that over a whole year. I think I'll play roughly 25% of the defensive line snaps. Okay. So we are 
exactly aligned when it comes to our our defensive tackles. And I totally agree. Does that include, does that include Chauncey Golston? So I have Chauncey as my D-line flex. And, okay. and I actually put uh, Junior Fihoko as my backup three-tech behind Osa. And um, I, I, I agree with you in the sense of, like, I know he was a defensive uh, end in San Jose State, but I just, he does not. There's First off, there's no room. There's just no room for for more edge rushers. So if you're going to earn any snaps, it's going to come from the inside. And I think they'll try to bulk him up. And, and then I think he could kind of be more of a, an explosive uh, three-tech versus a slower edge rusher. Uh, so I definitely, that's who I would have uh, as my backup nose. And with Chauncey, it's tricky because, you know, you talked about his build a little bit, like, He's still too a little too upright for me yeah, for yeah. to be a, to be um, a defensive tackle. But you know that's where that's where he was at Iowa. He 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 didn't have a position then, you know, and he hasn't had one with with Dallas. I was I did feel like his I don't know if it's just opportunity or performance, but he did kind of take a little bit of a step back uh, last year. We didn't really see much until I think the last game where he he kind of. He he showed himself in against Washington. I think he had a really nice game, but um, it was kind of like where was he sort of thing. And but it may not, you know, it could have to do more to do with just the Cowboys were so deep. They had to get rid of Terrell Basham because they were so deep. But you know, Trist, like you mentioned, Tristan Hill, he's gone, and so so um, so I just I'm a little bit like I'm I'm curious on on what's going to go on with Golston. I think there's some potential there, but I I'm going to wait in, until he. He shows me that before I'm too excited. So I have him as the lower part of my, you know, he's my 20% D-line flex spot. Um, whereas I, I, on the other side, even though um, Fihoko is more raw and especially his mental game, because he, he did get a lot of flags last, you know, in college. But I do think he's just going to be one of those players that coaches love. And if the coaches love you, you're going you're gonna to be on the field. You know, that, that's going to get your opportunity. So I, I just kind of think that he might be one of those guys that we all love to, when he does make a play, we're all super excited about. So, um, but I think we're... Yeah, he's a, he's a hair on fire type of player. I mean, we're, you know, he, he's the kind of guy, if, if he makes plays, fans are going to love him. Yes. Yes, for sure. I do think uh, I, that's... So I, we have to talk about this before we head out. Uh, Rabs, there's some guys we did not mentioned here and um yes sir and so let's tell me why um tell me why mr neville gallimore is not going to make this football team i mean it, listen it's just the writing that's on the wall it just feels like they've moved on i, I feel like you know i i actually on these very airwaves at the beginning of last year said i think Mark neville gallimore might have himself a, a sort of like you know fringe pro bowl kind of year so I really thought, like, yeah, he was killing it in training camp. It just felt like he, you know, he was finally healthy after, you know, after having a year where he, he kind of got derailed at the beginning of the year. That remember that he had that elbow injury he suffered in, in, the, in the opener against the Buccaneers. And I just sort of thought, you know what, this kid's ready to go, and and then nothing happened. And I feel like they tried, they tried, and they tried, and left him on the field and gave him opportunity after opportunity, and just never really manifested. And so you talk about a guy like, um, you know, like Chauncey Golson. You know, coming on later in the year, one of the things is, yes, there was no room in, in the defensive line rotation for him. But in some ways, Neville Gallimore and his absence of playmaking, you know, said that sort of indicated there was a, a 
pretty significant hole at defensive tackle. And I think that's what gave John C. Golson the opportunity to come in and start making some plays and in some ways find a kind of home. Yeah. You know, I, I think everybody was sort of pleasantly surprised by that, probably Golston himself. And and so I really feel like, you know, the kind of guys they're drafting, the fact they drafted two defensive tackles this year, and those and those those guys have the kind of body type and play style that really works for the way that Dan Quinn seems to be envisioning the position. Gallimore was always a kind of tweener and I just, I don't see a place for him. I don't see a place for him. And uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's his last year. He's due to make almost $3 million. I just don't, I, I, unless there's an injury or something, or they take 11, which seems hard to imagine because I think they're going to need to go deep at other positions. I just feel like the, the, the time has run out. You know, the, like they've, they've gotten everything they need to see from this kid. And unless he just absolutely crushes it in training camp, we've seen less of him in a Cowboy. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was a big Gallimore guy. I was, in fact, I was on day two of, of the draft. I was, you know, I had Diggs and Gallimore both as my, you know, on my wish list. And the Cowboys yep. delivered with both of those guys. And, uh, and I was super stoked about him. And even at camp two, I was thinking like, I was thinking this, he's going to break out. His, his sophomore year is going to break out. And, uh, of course, then Osa came along and, you know, it's suddenly it became like, you know, it's a lot. I didn't know between the two who was the guy. And I think now it's clear who is the guy. And as you mentioned, Gallimore is in the last year in the Cowboys. You know, I think when you draft a player like Fihoko too, I mean, I think you do that with the purpose. And I think the purpose is to, to play him there and then three tech spot. So, I don't see a room for him. I just, it's, uh, it's hard. I like the player. And if we had the room, I wouldn't, I think he's roster worthy. Um, but it's almost kind of like a Tristan Hill situation last year. It's like, where does he really truly fit in? And you don't want him stealing reps from younger guys. But speaking of younger guys, another one we didn't mention is um, he's only halfway through his rookie deal is uh, Quentin Bohana. Yeah, I feel like they've also given him lots of opportunities and he hasn't really delivered. I feel like, you know, they, um, they they tried to replace him last year by drafting John Ridgway. And I think John Ridgway would probably be on the team. We'd be having a discussion about him right now instead of Bohana. But there was just a sort of unfortunate series of injuries that meant that they had really little choice to try sneaking through. And they got burned. And Washington uh, picked him off. Um, I, I feel like, you know, Bohana was a, a, a one of those low-round gambles on a big body never really quite paid off i feel like this time is done he he, he and the thing is next year he's slated to make just a, almost like a hundred thousand dollars less than hankins i think they're gonna go with, i think they're gonna go with the veteran and try to try to draft somebody again to, to replace replace hankins or, or you know they'll be signing for another year to try to, to try to you know have someone there there to be mozzie's backup um but yeah i, I think i think bohana just he doesn't give them the anchor they need. He doesn't give them the athleticism they need. He seems to be just a little bit of a – he's not as focused as a lot of their other younger guys. seems to be a little softer. I think he's done. I think the other guy who's done, frankly, that never really had a chance is our good friend from um, from Hard Knocks, I believe it was, Isaac Alarcon, Alarcon mm-hmm. um, you know, who's a great story, and moving him from the offensive line to the defensive line. He has no prayer of making the team as a defensive lineman. And I – I believe personally that there's a couple other young bucks that they really like who they're going to try to do everything they can to get on the practice squad. Or if they feel like these guys blow up in preseason, they're going to find them. They're going to be like, oh, poor guy has an ankle injury in the fourth preseason or third preseason game. 
you know, too bad he too bad we have to put him on IR, and that's Tyrus Wheat and Darrell Johnson. I I would expect one, but probably both of those guys, given the investment they they put into both those guys to sign them as as UDFA's. I think both those guys are they're gonna try to sneak them out of the practice squad. Yeah, totally agree. I, I to me, I think Tyrus Wheat is the guy I think might be better, and he might I could see him getting poached. Hundred percent um, agree. Whereas like Darrell Johnson might be one of like, what is it? I forget his name. Speaking of hard knocks, he was uh, one of the f- favorites. That was it. Uh, Kamara, Azura Kamara. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. and I, I, I sort of kind of see that with and, and you know with Darrell Johnson, like where maybe he's because he's also just doesn't have that build. Um, so I'm I'm a little curious on how that. And of course we know there's no room at edge for anybody. So these are all practice squad is going to be the ceiling for these guys for at least 2023. So totally, I, I totally agree. And yeah, Isaac too. I don't even, I don't know what, I, they're doing everything they can to just give this guy a chance. And I know people, people love to root for him too. And he's an extra roster spot that the Cowboys have uh, that they don't have to, you know, to, but yeah, he's a great story, but he has no chance to make it. Yeah. So I, I mean, honestly, Rabs very close. I think the only difference that we have uh, is just basically between Dante Fowler and, and Dorrance Armstrong. And outside yep. of that, it's it's spot on. So, uh, And honestly, in terms of defensive end snaps, just to reiterate, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just think that um, Armstrong is going to get more defensive line snaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that wouldn't surprise me at all, too, because good player, too. And uh, I was I was happy when they signed him, uh, extended him, and then and you go in that route and Gregory, too. If you look at the money, to me, as it was – it was clearly seemed better. And of course, if you look at uh, Armstrong true, had, he had a great first half of the season. I mean, things kind of slowed down for him later, but um, I mean, halfway through the season, I can't tell you how many tweets I was throwing, you know, between Gregory and Armstrong and stuff because it was, he was just like killing it. Um, yeah. But, and of course he blocks punts too. And I love, I love my defensive linemen that can do those special things too. So, uh, but anyway, that's a good choice. Good list. And you know what? That's a good show, and that's that is all we have for today. Uh, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think. Anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, any roster battles that you know you're particularly looking at, or uh, what is something that you have put off doing for a long time. You can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Daddy Phantom 24 and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-E-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart, so make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue, and we will catch you later. Blast is missed.